0: Please keep Colossians 3 open. It was a wonderful day, a yes, day of fellowship. It's three. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank and praise you for the words of the Apostle Paul, for his boldness in proclaiming your gospel faithfully and for showing us how to respond to it with passages like this. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to respond to his words and become the church that he calls us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine a church like this for a moment. Imagine a church where the gospel is at the center of everything. A church that strives to live out God's word faithfully. A church where everyone is committed to one another, and to our gatherings week by week. A church that is, gathers together in gospel teams to dig into God's word together. A church where people sing God's praises loudly and passionately. A church where people are becoming Christians because the members of the church are proclaiming Christ to their friends and their world. A church where those, in need who, are, are care, those who are in need are cared for. Where Bruce gets alongside Dave, hypothetical names. Um, to care for him through his struggles. Or where Christy gets alongside Anna when she goes in for surgery and needs meals and lifts. A church where forgiveness and peace and love and unity thrive. Now imagine a church that's not like this. A church where people rarely make it on a Sunday and never really at all to a small group. A church where people would rather just do social things than read the Bible together. A church where people sit in the pew and expect the pastors to do all the work. A church where people kind of mumble through the songs and the prayers with blank expressions on their face. A church where no one ever visits because the atmosphere is cold and uninviting. Where those who struggle, no one notices. A church where grudges and bitterness constant conflict and hurt which church would you rather be a part of or rather which church would you rather be today in our passage the apostle paul is painting the picture of a flourishing healthy church he shows us god's chosen people and how they should live together and he puts the onus on us doesn't he He calls us to be a godly church together, so let's explore what he has to say. But first, let's remember, back to last week, what did we see Paul saying in that passage? We saw him say, the first part of chapter 3, set your minds on things above, where Christ is seated, not on the things of this earth. He said, you have died and been raised with Christ, so put to death the sexual immorality of this world. Put away the speech of this world, slander, malice. It belongs to the world, not your heavenly home. Well, this week in our passage today, Paul continues that train of thought. Except instead of put off sin, he says, put on godliness. Put on godliness towards one another. Did you notice that as he described the different character traits they're actually ways that we interact with one another. He talks about this chosen people, God's people, living lives of love and peace towards one another. So, come with me. Let's get started with verse twelve. Paul paints this picture of a healthy church. He says, "Therefore, God's chosen, holy one, that God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility." gentleness, and patience. So remember back to last week, we saw him say, put off these five sins. This week he says, put on these five virtues, these positive aspects of godliness. But before we get to what these virtues are, we need to know those first few words. Did you see them? Paul says, before I tell you what to do, listen to who you are. He says, you have been chosen by God. He has made you holy, set you apart by the blood of Jesus. You are loved by him. He says, You are God's chosen ones, plural. And this is how you are to live together as his people. These are the attitudes and the actions that you were to have towards one another. So, how does Paul want them to live? Let's look at these five virtues. Verse 12, what's the first one? Paul says, Put on heartfelt compassion. What is heartfelt compassion? Compassion is that deep concern for those who are struggling and in need. Whether it's someone who's struggling physically or emotionally or someone who's struggling spiritually with sin or suffering or worry or doubt, what does the compassionate person do? They are moved by the need that they see and they act on it. They do something about it to love and support the person. What's the opposite of compassion? It's callousness. It's ignoring the needs of people around you. What's next? Paul says, put on kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is choosing to do what is good or generous for another person. What's the opposite? Well, it's choosing to be mean, harsh, rude, withholding the good that you could do for someone and keeping it to yourself what's next paul says put on humility what is humility humility is not saying oh i'm not very good at this or that no humility is choosing to lower yourself it's choosing to consider others as more important than yourself and serve them for their good It's being willing to do anything for a brother or sister in Christ, even if it seems beneath you. What's the opposite of humility? It's arrogance, isn't it? It's thinking that you're better than others around you. It's being too important to serve others. What's next? Paul says, put on gentleness. What is gentleness? think about it for a moment, what is it to be physically gentle? Imagine for a moment that you are holding a newborn baby, which is what I will hopefully, God willing, be doing in just a few weeks' time. You're meant to be gentle with babies, right? Why? Because they're fragile, because they're less strong than you, because you can hurt them. So to be physically gentle is to use the appropriate care and the appropriate amount of strength for that person, for that thing that you're dealing with. We can think about it the exact same way in our relationships with one another. Gentleness is speaking carefully with people. It's thinking about how your words and your manner will affect them. It's meeting people where they're at. Maybe they're younger than you. Maybe they look up to you. Maybe your words and your manner have great potential to hurt or to to help and you need to be careful how and what you say that's gentleness what's next well, it's the fifth one it's paul's last one he says put on patience what is patience in our modern world we think of patience as having to wait for things don't we having to wait in line for things having to wait for traffic but the idea behind this word is actually the idea of being long-suffering what does that mean it's an old-fashioned word that simply means putting up with others when they are difficult. So, to be patient means to endure the frustration and hurt that comes up in relationships all the time. To bear with your brothers and sisters in Christ. To bear with them and not give up when it's hard. Not to give up when you're a church or an individual when things are strained. And Paul, he goes on to expand on that trait. So have a look, verse 13. He says, Put on patience, accepting one another, forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Paul is a realist when it comes to our church life, isn't he? He assumes that we will have hurts and complaints against one another, it is inevitable. But he says, rather than cutting off those who hurt us, rather than running away, we need to accept them. Bear with them, be patient with them, forgive them. Because that's the gospel, isn't it? Look at the end of verse 13. Paul says, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is forgiveness, isn't it? And so the heart of the church who believes in the gospel also has to be forgiveness. Paul says, as God's chosen people, here is how I want you to live. I want you to put on heartfelt compassion. Put on kindness, humility, gentleness, patience towards one another. Forgiving one another. That is the picture of church that Paul is painting, a healthy and flourishing church. And so it makes me wonder, how are you going with those five traits, those five virtues, those five responses to God's grace to you? Which one of those five do you want to grow in so that you can serve your brothers and sisters in Christ and love them, as Paul calls us to? Maybe you struggle to be compassionate to those here at church. Maybe you forget to be kind to others in the busyness of life. Do you need to humble yourself and serve people, even if it's hard? Do you struggle with being harsh and you need to grow in gentleness? Are you impatient? Do you need to bear with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Whichever one it is, pray that God would give you the strength to put on that virtue, and then strive to do so. And I don't think it's any surprise, I hope you don't, that these aspects of godliness, they are all things that we see perfectly displayed in our Lord Jesus. Think about it for a moment. He had compassion on the crowds when he healed and taught them. He showed kindness to those who were in desperate need. He came humbly as a man into our world and gave his life for us. Went to the cross. He was gentle with those who are struggling and caught in sin. He was patient with those who hurt him. Let's follow our Lord Jesus and put on these things. But then Paul sums it all up for us with a sixth virtue. So have a look at verse 14. Above all, Paul says, put on love. The perfect bond of unity. At the heart of all of these five virtues, these attributes, is caring for one another. Choosing to do what is loving and kind and good and generous. Love will bind you together in unity, Paul says. And Jesus is again our example. He loved us and gave himself for us. So, Paul wants love and unity, but he also wants peace. Let's look at this last verse of this section, verse 15. He says, Let the peace of the Messiah, the peace that he has won between us and God, to which you are also called in one body, he's saying, You've been called by God into one body to live at peace with one another. Let this peace, he says, control your hearts. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, let the peace of Jesus control your thoughts and attitudes and actions, not your ego. Let the peace of Jesus inform how you act towards your brothers and sisters, not your selfish desires. Don't let those things govern how you interact with each other. No, peace must control your heart, your thoughts and attitudes and actions. Don't let anger or self-righteousness or malice, the things we thought about last week, drive the way that you treat one another. No, choose to act in peace. So as God's chosen people, Paul calls us to live in these loving and peaceful ways towards one another. Isn't that the kind of church that we want to be? The church that is full of compassion for one another. Kindness, gentleness, humility. Loving one another and seeking peace. But Paul goes on to speak more about what a healthy church should look like. He paints this beautiful picture even more. Look at verse 16 with me, the next part of the passage. He paints a picture of a flourishing church. And this has to be one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. And I hope it's the same for you. It is a verse that we strive to live out here at Snack. Let's read it together. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ, sorry, let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you. As God's chosen once his holy loved church, we need to make sure that the message of Christ, the gospel, sits at the very center, front and center of all that we do. The gospel is how God saves people, isn't it? It's how he brings people into relationship with himself, It's how he justifies us. It's how he saves us from the power of Satan we heard yesterday at the big day out. The gospel is what saves. And the gospel is what grows the church, what builds us up as we appreciate it more and more and as we live in light of it more and more. And so Paul says the gospel must dwell richly among you. What does that mean? we might be tempted to think that it simply means thinking about the gospel in the privacy of our own hearts and minds. That's not a bad thing, is it? To reflect on the gospel and to appreciate it in our own hearts. But I don't think that's what Paul means here. Why? Because look at the very next verse, or the next words in the verse. He says, Let the gospel dwell among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. He says, this is what it means for the gospel to dwell among us, to speak it to one another. So that we are all involved in the work of building up one another in the faith. It's not just the ministers or the gospel team leaders whose job it is to teach. We are all called to teach and encourage one another with the gospel. We are all called to admonish or warn one another of the dangers of sin to warn each other from turning away from Christ and we are to do this with God's wisdom given to us in his word. This is what it means for the message of Christ to dwell richly among us, that it would overflow from our hearts and minds and out of our mouths or out of our fingers as we type messages to one another during the week so that we are all encouraged and all encouraging and challenging one another to grow in faith. Speaking the truth of the gospel in love is what Paul calls it in Ephesians. Do you see this picture that he's painting of a flourishing, healthy church? He keeps painting it. Look at the next part of verse 16. This gospel dwelling, this teaching and warning, how does it happen? What does it look like? One powerful way it happens is through our singing, through our songs. He says, sing sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That's what our songs in church should do, isn't it? Our singing should be a powerful way that the gospel of Christ dwells richly among us. When we sing, we are teaching and warning one another. And of course, we are singing with gratitude to God, thankfulness in our hearts. Do you realize that's what we're doing when we sing together? Do you see how important it is that we sing as God's chosen people. This verse and others like it are the very reason we sing in the first place and why we choose the songs that we sing here. We want the message of Christ to dwell richly among us. This is Paul's picture of a flourishing church. That's what he wants for the Colossians. And I hope that's what you want too. And I hope that's what you love and appreciate about our church. When I first came to a church where the message of Christ was dwelling richly, it was an incredible time of my life. It was actually the church previous to Snack for me. But it was a church where the teaching and the services, where the songs and the conversations were filled with the message of Christ. And when I first came to Snack seven or eight years ago, feels like a long time now, doesn't it? I had that same joy all over again. Because here, too, I experienced the message of Christ dwelling richly among God's people. And I've only seen us grow in that as a church. Do you realize what a joy and privilege it is to be part of a church where the message of Christ dwells richly? There are churches around Australia and around the world where the message of Christ just isn't there. It doesn't dwell richly, it's been replaced by one thing or another, by self-help preaching, or by mystical or emotional experience, or by politics and social concern, or church just kind of becomes this kind of social club for people to have a community group to go to, where they can make friends and be a little bit religious. But it's really not about the word of Christ dwelling richly among God's people, something else has replaced the gospel in these so-called churches all around the world sadly it's the norm rather than the exception so never take it for granted never take it for granted always be thankful that god has blessed our church that our church both the leadership and the members are so eager to see the message of christ dwell richly among us as we speak it, as it comes out of our hearts and minds in our songs. But let's not also settle. Let's not be content with where we are. Let's grow in this. Let's grow as a church who have the gospel dwelling richly among us even more. Let's work out how each one of us can be growing in speaking those truths of God's word singing the gospel to one another. And it could be as simple as remembering why we sing. And I hope that's what we've done just now. So that when we do sing, you sing with more joy and passion and zeal and the people around you are encouraged. Or it could be as simple as asking someone after the service, what have you read in God's word this week? Or sharing what you have been struck by as you've read God's word. Or something from big day out yesterday. What were you encouraged or challenged by? It's as simple as just talking about that, asking those questions of one another. This is what Paul desires. Do you see it? That as God's chosen people, the gospel dwells richly among us. Well, Paul draws it all together beautifully at the end of the passage. Let's dig into verse 17 briefly to see how he sums it all up. He says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul sums up everything that he said so far with this one command. And it's a little bit all-encompassing, isn't it? Everything you do, particularly everything that you do together as a body, as a church, Your attitude, your actions, your words, do it all in the name of Christ. Do everything as if it were for Jesus, for his glory, according to his will. Paul is calling us here to be intentional, isn't he? He wants God's chosen ones to live their life together intentionally. Intentionally thinking and speaking and acting in love and peace towards one another. Intentionally speaking and singing the gospel to one another, the message of Christ, intentionally and thoughtfully doing everything in the name of our Jesus, our Lord Jesus, for his glory. Do you think about your church family like that? Do you think about our gatherings like that as opportunities to see the word of Christ dwell richly among us, to show Christ like compassion? love and peace i pray that it is and that we grow in this as a church so that everything we do is for the name of jesus and all of this paul says to finish up is accompanied by what giving thanks to god the father through christ There's that theme again that comes up all throughout the book of Colossians. It comes up three times in this passage. I skipped over it, but he says these three things. Be thankful. Sing with gratitude in your hearts. And here, giving thanks to God the Father. The most important thing that we can be doing together and individually as God's chosen ones is to give God the thanks and praise he deserves in everything that we do, coming to him through our mediator Jesus and overflowing with thankfulness for the amazing grace he has shown us. Through Christ, we are God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. We are his church and this is how he calls us to live. So why not be the church that the Apostle Paul says we should be, that God calls us to be, while we give thanks to him through our Lord Jesus Christ. God, our Father, we thank and praise you for the time together you've given us in your word, for the words of the Apostle Paul that speak so boldly and clearly on what it is you want your church to be. Father, we confess and pray that we have not always done what your word says here. We have forgotten to be compassionate, We have hurt one another. We have not let the word of Christ always dwell richly among us. And Father, we are sorry. We pray that you would grow us to be a people who put on these virtues, who speak the word of truth to one another and sing it passionately so that everything that we do would be for the name of Jesus and for his glory. And we pray in his name. Amen.